0: Welcome back to the Saturday show. We are live on location today at Stockton 12 Honda in the Utah Auto Mall down here in Sandy, 10860 South State Street. Love to see you guys. Adrian Lizer, Jake Hatch hanging out with you. We also got Zach, our tech, sitting alongside Alex back in the studio. Thanks again for joining us on the Zone Sports Network this afternoon, regardless of what you're doing. If you're out and about, driving around, doing the honey-do list, taking kids to or from, sporting matches, games, whatever you got going on, or just hanging out around the house. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Yeah, for sure. We appreciate it. And uh, if you'd like, please podcast us directly. Yeah. On the Zone Sports well, Network a, app. We
0: need to talk about that for a second here. I think a lot of people have not realized what we have done with our new podcast feeds on the Zone. I no, think, they I, have not. I had some people ask me about actually just a couple of days ago. They were asking me, hey, Jake, why don't why am I not getting updates on the Zone feed anymore? And I'm like, well, that is a, that's a great question. It's because we have actually gone show-by-show specific. We went to a new podcast uh, host that allows us show-by-show. So if you like the Saturday show – You can go subscribe to the Saturday Night Show on any podcast uh, service, and you can get all of our audio from this show in particular. If you like DJ and Pika, you like the Mm -hmm. movie zone that you do, you like DJ and Yacht Soccer Talk, the soccer podcast that David James and I do. You can find all those individually, and it's a fantastic way to stay up to date with all the audio when it comes to, from the zone in general.
1: And frankly, I'm not above begging for my own personal gain, so well, I'm saying please, 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 please I do go lo- podcast all of it. I do a lot of podcasts, so yes, please. I like subscribe. my job, and uh, it would be nice if people listen.
0: Yeah, check out Locked On Cougars. Check out the RPO. Check out DJ and Soccer Talk. Check out Salt City FC. Please support
1: us. Right, exactly. Um, hey, real quick before we get yeah. into uh, – Uh, our guest here who was on the Zone Sports Network. I wanted to, uh, just real quick, because I didn't know how to put it, whether or not to put it in technical files or not, but uh, Nike putting the kibosh on LeBron's move from number six to number 23 because right now Anthony Davis is kind of doing his introductory press conference Mm because it's uh, confirmed, rumors were true, it's a miracle that... Uh, The rumors were true, and Anthony Davis is going to be a Laker. And uh, apparently, he's going to be wearing number 23. He was. Or was going to be wearing the number 23, because he did in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. LeBron is number 23, so LeBron hinted that he would be wearing number 6 again.
0: What he wore in Miami. What he wore
1: in Miami, because he wanted Anthony Davis to be able to keep his number. Uh, But instead, Anthony Davis will be wearing number 3, because apparently, and I just learned this, there's a deadline by Nike. Uh, that it's March fifteenth, apparently, that you need of if you're going to change if you're going know. to change numbers, which it mm-hmm. seems really early to me.
0: Well, and, but you think about it as well. These got, these are companies that are planning years in advance. Right, in terms and
1: of they jerseys. said it would cost us tens of millions of dollars at this point to make the switch oh, because they've because uh, they've already started making jerseys. So, yeah. uh, so it looks like uh, Anthony Davis will be wearing number three at least for one season. The quote though from Anthony Davis about this
0: today. The not being able to wear number three was quote hurtful unquote, and this is a guy who is a Nike athlete. Like, he's got a contract mm-hmm. with Nike, so I wonder how that may affect his
1: relationship. He's going to wear it. that's all, folks. Sh- he doesn't even know what he's wearing. Remember, <laughs> it's true. Somebody just know. lays it out for him. Yes, I forgot and he about just that. puts it yes, on. I forgot so. about that part of it. Anyways, it just it's an interesting business. The yeah. business of sports is very fascinating. Oh outside God. of. Just what's on the court. Yes. Because this is another wrinkle that you never really think about. Oh, you think oh, I just want to change numbers. Whatever. Well I care. remember
0: years and years ago when Kobe went from number eight to number twenty four, the outroar, the, the the just the cry from Laker Nation, like, What? Yeah. What is he doing? But guess what? It was a genius move for him and Nike because guess what? Everybody who had a number eight jersey, all of a sudden, guess who was sporting a number 24 Kobe
1: jersey? Well, to make, bring it more local, Mike Conley has been wearing number 11 and his he, entire career. Yeah. And, he, and he's coming to Salt Lake City, and that's already taken by one Dante Exum. Dante offered to give it up to him. Yeah, but and he Mike said, said, no, I'll just I'm go good. with number 10. I'll go so. with number 10. Sweet. All right. Who's the last Jazz guy? That was Alec Burks, Alec right? Alec Burks, word number 10. 10. Yep. So who even, also had some nice, man, we're just going down the rabbit hole because Bur- Alec Burks just had some nice things to say about the Jazz yesterday.
0: Exactly. If, if you got an Alec Burks jersey, all you got to do is just do that tape thing and put Conley on the Put Conley, of there and there you, go. Uh,
1: there you go. Way you go. Awesome. Just handwrite it in, in Sharpie. You just get that you get that duct tape Little out. Conley. Get
0: the sharpie and yeah. just Conley on the back and wear it to the game.
1: It's like the Joe Ingalls ones where people just covered up the four <laughs> on uh, Gordon Hayward. And, I did see yeah, that yeah. was actually really funny. Uh, anyway, Jake, let's get to our uh, guest you had on. Yeah. DJ so BK. Brian
0: T. Smith, of course, a lot of people may remember that name. He worked here for the Salt Lake Tribune for a number of years covering the Utah Jazz. Uh, he has since moved on to working in Houston. He is now the sports columnist for the Houston Chronicle, the main paper down there in the Greater Houston area. Uh, He joined David James yesterday to talk about the blockbuster deal that sent Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets uh, and also Chris Paul going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. He talked about that, how he thinks it's going to play out for Houston. But then he also got into some more of the big picture stuff when it came to the NBA, what he expects uh, from the Utah Jazz, just the West in general. So let's get to it. Here's Brian T. Smith with David James right here on the Zone Sports Network.
2: DJ, PK, and Brian T. Smith, sports columnist for the Houston Chronicle, joining us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. At least any handset and get an iPad for $99.99 visit the local Sprint store near you. Brian, good morning.
3: Good morning, how are
2: you? Never a dull day, huh? Never, never, ever, ever. <laughs> all right, so uh, first off, before we get to the trade and how it impacts the team and the West and all that, how stunned is everybody in Houston that the Rockets were able to find a taker for Chris Paul's contract? Did anyone really yeah, think you know, that was that, coming? You know,
3: that may be the most um, underreported, under you know appreciated part of all this because it obviously happened last night. It happened on a on a Thursday night during a which, which should have been a, a, a very quiet time for the NBA, right? I mean, it's summer league, but free agency technically you know the explosive part is over. Uh, it, it, the national media was, was hard pushing Westbrook to Miami. That, that deal obviously had hit a snag during the day. Nobody was mentioning the Rockets, and I had actually written about and laid laid it out, you know, how the Rockets could make this happen, why they would make this happen. But even the Rockets a week ago, I would hear, there's no way we can trade Chris Paul's contract. I mean, there, there is there is nobody in the NBA who wants Chris Paul's contract you basically cannot move him if we want to move him, if we try to move him. It's it's a it's a non-starter. This this trade only happens from the Rockets' perspective because they knew ultimately they had to move on from Chris Paul, and the second they fell short to the Warriors again in Game 6, that process started, right? And you had the divide between Chris Paul and James Harden. It wasn't unsalvageable, but it wasn't pretty either. And Harden was ready to move on for the Rockets to find somebody else but ultimately, this only happens because Kawhi Leonard takes Paul George and goes to the Clippers. So without that happening, Russell Westbrook isn't available. And without the relationship between Russell Westbrook and James Harden dating back to the old Oklahoma City, Young Dynasty days that obviously never happened, this doesn't happen. So, so many dominoes in place, but maybe the most underappreciated is that somebody else in the NBA now has Chris Paul's crazy 34-year-old $124 million contract.
2: So have you spoken to Daryl Morey since this happened, or is he still naked in the hotel pool guzzling expensive champagne?
3: <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I have not, and I'm, I'm you know, waiting a, uh, an email from the Rockets letting us know at what point, uh, maybe next week, who knows. Uh, James Harden has been globetrotting, which so many NBA stars do now during the offseason. He was in China, looks like he's been on, uh, you know, playing Football, soccer, with the Arsenal um, in England, I don't I don't believe uh, James Harden's even in the country. The Rockets have been at, at Summer League, but, you know, Daryl Morey has had a very, very interesting summer. I mean, you know, the Rockets have, have put 95% of their team on the trade block. Uh, Mike D'Antoni, you know, should have a contract extension by now, but he does not. And, and you know, the other part of this is that Mike D'Antoni is going to be asked to make it work with Westbrook and James Harden on the court at the same time on the same team in the final year of his deal while he's basically coaching for another contract or another job within their team. But, you know, at the center of all this is always is Daryl Morey. And, and we, we, you know, we watched the Jazz make huge moves this offseason that were, you know, ultimately dictated by their front office. Well, Daryl Morey's now brought Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, and Russell Westbrook to Houston, all to pair with James Harden. But, you know, two years after the Rockets basically threw a parade, when they got Chris Paul, they got rid of him as soon as they could.
2: Brian T. Smith joining us, former Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, now a columnist for the Houston Chronicle. So you kind of touched on this and alluded to it. How bad were the chemistry issues with Paul Riley really, and how much of that is people just – Getting a juicy narrative and just writing it, whether you know is only forty percent true or whatever, and because they do have a relationship in Oklahoma City, despite the fact they play the same style, ball dominant, is the chemistry going to be better now with Westbrook there?
3: Yeah, no, those are two very good uh, on-target questions. You know, the first answer, and this is what I've said many, many times. Um, I, I have no indication that it was horrible between Harden and Paul, right? I mean, I, I covered the, the end of the Dwight Howard, James Harden era. That was bad. I mean, you know, the, the locker room was divided. The team was divided. Kevin McHale was fired 11 games in the season. It was becoming James Harden's team. He was ramping up to being an annual MVP contender. Dwight Howard is, you know, now, now constantly bounced around the league. That was bad. I go back to the, the Jazz, Darren Williams, Jerry Sloan days. Um, you know, there, there was there was more immediate explosiveness by far with that and, and how it can divide a, not just a team, an entire franchise. This wasn't like that. This was a slow build. This was, you know, James Harden is a little bit stuck in his ways. I mean, anyone who loves him or hates him knows that. So is Chris Paul. I mean, Chris Paul had issues when he was with, at New Orleans, he had serious issues when he was, you know, leading Lob City with the Clippers. You had to fall out there with Blake Griffin and Doc Rivers and all that stuff. Doesn't mean that anybody's ultimately wrong. I'm not saying that either of them are horrible guys at all. But it was clear that you just put it all together, right? I mean, the Warriors not being able to get to the top, Harden always falling short when he, when he had to, to be the strongest. Chris Paul's injury issues, Chris Paul's age, Chris Paul's contract, you put all that together, that's really explosive. And if you fall short again, and James Harden is at the point in his career where you know he believes, right or wrong, he's the best player in the NBA, the best scorer in the NBA, he's never been better, it's his team, his franchise, and he looks at Chris Paul and says, man, you, know, you, you can be aggressive and you can be pesky and you can be a pain in the butt and, and you can be a huge addition to our team, but ultimately – Chris Paul was holding the Rockets back from that perspective. The part of it now is that, I mean, you know, it, 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 it could work. I mean, it really could work between James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And there is mutual respect there. There's a friendship that dates back more than a decade. I don't think most people remember. You know, Mike D'Antoni was part of the Olympic teams. And Russell Westbrook in 2012, when he was really starting to take the next step, Mike D'Antoni was one of those coaches. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of mutual respect. Between the big three names on that team right now, Westbrook, Harden, and Mike D'Antoni. But Harden's also had good relationships at the start. And by the end, one guy's remaining, one guy's traded away, and only James Harden is left standing. So it's going to be fascinating to watch this work, just like it will be for both Los Angeles teams. But ultimately, it will come down to James Harden. I love Westbrook in many ways. (laughs) Some ways, you know, I think he drives me in most. NBA fans crazy with the shot selection and, you know, just trying to do too much. James Harden and Russell Westbrook are both going to have to get the best out of each other and, and do something that they've never done in the NBA before.
2: Brian T. Smith, columnist for the Houston Chronicle, joining us. So how will it work on the court? Because Russell Westbrook has never been a good three-point shooter. He peaked at 33.3%. He's been under 30% for the last five years. Jazz fans right now are screaming in their car because they know when you have a perimeter guy who can't shoot the three, people don't defend him. It clogs up the lane for everybody else. We just watched Ricky Rubio here for two years. He did a lot of good things, but shooting a three isn't one of them. He doesn't spread the floor. How's this going to work? Yeah, and I don't think anybody knows right now. And
3: honestly, the Rockets don't know. They, 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 they believe, hey, we were able to get, and we could debate this forever, but they believe we were able to get one of the top five players in the NBA. I mean, you have Kawhi, you have LeBron, you know, probably a little bit on the decline. Uh, you have James Harden. You've got five to seven players, Paul George, that you could, you know, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, that you could put in the top five. They believe they got one of the top five players in the NBA who's averaged a triple-double, inflated or not, for three consecutive seasons which hasn't been done in eternity um and he's friends with and respected by the face of the franchise mike d'antoni had to answer a ton of questions two years ago when the rockets suddenly traded for chris paul you know you only have one ball you have two point guards how is this going to work rockets made it work that first year they won a franchise record 65 games they would have been in the nba finals without chris Hamstr- chris paul's hamstring falling apart at the end of game five which which they won that game and they were up three two against the warriors so they ultimately believe D'Antoni will play the peacemaker. They'll find a way to make this work. You still have Clint Capella, you have Eric Gordon, you have PJ Tucker, decent bitch bench. They may want to get back really on very uh, low money this off season. I mean, the Rockets were they weren't hard cap, but they didn't have any money to spend. They believe that you know they'll be able to find some way to make this work, and ultimately that the talent of Harden and Westbrook will prevail. But it is it's a huge TBD. I don't know how it's going to work. The Rockets don't know how it's going to work. Um, but in this era of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, the Jazz being better than they have since the peak of the Darren Williams era, all of that stuff, you, you put all that together, they believe they had to take a shot, and they're, they're going to they're gonna live or die with James Harden and Russell Westbrook figuring it out.
2: So you mentioned Mike D'Antoni getting in there and make it work. And I don't know that it's on Daryl Morey. I mean, some of the reporting he said says it's really the owner wanting to cut costs. But do they give him a one more year so he has a little leverage? Because in the last year of his deal, how much power does he really have to be peacemaker when everybody looks at him and thinks, "Dude, you're going to be gone by the All Star break anyway if this doesn't work."
3: Yeah, that's that's where it's really difficult. And I, you know, because this was such a blockbuster deal, uh, because there's been so much else going on in the, NBA, in the in the and in the NBA. Uh, This would have been the biggest story, you know, one of the biggest stories in the NBA this summer, if not for everything else happening. But I've written about this a lot. Um, The dantoni Rocket situation is is just very odd from a league-wide perspective. There's not, you know, any true bitterness. There's frustration. Um, But they just have not been able to find middle ground. And I understand it from both sides but there's no way around it. I mean, this is, it's just unorthodox. Uh, Mike D'Antoni's also you know, approaching 70 years old, but he wants to coach for, for two to three more years and win a title in Houston. So you would think that at some point, cooler heads prevail, they hit some type of deadline, they find some way to at least tack on one more year because that's, that's the thing. I mean, what if the team struggles out of the gate? What if it takes a little while? It's an 82-game season. We're prone to overreaction instantly. In this media era, uh, if, if they start eight and twelve, all you're going to hear is Mike D'Antoni's on the hot seat. Mike D'Antoni's going to get fired, and he's in the last year of his deal. So you, you, you would think that in some way the Rockets would be able to work with <laughs> his agent Warren Legary, who runs you know half the league when it comes to coaches, Daryl Morey, Tillman Fortida, the Rockets' brain trust, and figure out some way to say, hey. We, we double down on Harden and Westbrook. We know that we have to make this work. It's, it's, it's literally championship or bust. The last thing we want to do is have a vulnerable coach and a lame duck here, uh, and then he's you know ends up being the sacrificial goat when it was really on the players. So that, that, that's another huge thing that this franchise has to figure out.
2: All right, so you've alluded to this. Brian T. Smith, sports columnist for the Houston Chronicle, joining us. You've alluded to all the depth, the moves other teams have made, how do you rank teams in the West right now?
3: I can't. I, I'm just going to be honest. I, you know, sometimes if I, if, I, if I don't see it, if I don't know it, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to pull a, a, a screaming A, you know, worst take uh, and say, it. I don't think you can wake the rest right now. We, we don't know anything about the Lakers and how it's, I mean, Chris, uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis have not played together. LeBron James is coming off of an injury and, you know, he's changing the port, point guard reportedly. Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George and the Clippers. That looks really interesting on paper. There are also reports that Paul George might miss the start of the season. I love everything that the Jazz have done. They they answered you know some huge questions on paper. I've always liked Mike Conley. Mike Conley has to stay healthy, not in November or April, through an 82-game season and a two-month playoff run if it's really going to work out for the Jazz. Denver. I like Denver. Denver still has a ton of question marks, and they still lack – experience some big game moments you know the, the rockets and james harden and russell westbrook <laughs> it, it's 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 a uh hollywood blockbuster and a, re- and a reality tv and a three-part you know miniseries and we have no idea how it's going to play out i don't think you can you can at all say that anyone is a true favorite in the west right now
2: brian we appreciate a few minutes thanks for coming on with us thank you
3: there you go
0: brian t smith columnist for the Houston Chronicle, and very interesting there. He he says that there is no favorite in the West in his mind right now. He says on paper, there's a lot of good teams. He says on paper, and I think he's right in that regard, because we talked about this in the first segment, Adrian. The NBA has gone uh, undergone a massive facelift in terms mm-hmm. of stars moving different places. There's a whole new look in the NBA, and on paper, there's a lot of good teams, including the Utah Jazz, as you heard him say. They answered a lot of questions on paper now come October, November, December, when the season starts, which of those teams are going to have things figured out right from the get-go and which teams are going to have slow starts? Because I think that right there, those first couple of months of the season, could go a long way to determining which teams are the top seeds in the NBA playoffs come April and May next year and the teams that are, yeah, the six, seven, eight seeds.
1: Yeah, I think um, the L.A. Sc- the LA teams I think are my leaders, but I don't think it's by a lot. No, I don't have them and, But, you know. I, I still go by superstars win in the NBA. They win the titles, and uh, the Jazz need Donovan and maybe someone else to emerge as legitimate big-time stars. Or, I mean, you can tell me the Pistons won it all you want, but they were the last ones to do it. When was that? Uh, 04. 04. Mm-hmm. So we're talking
0: – You could put the Dallas Mavericks a little bit in that regard, but not necessarily – Dirk was one of the best players in the NBA. and that's the thing. Dirk was at the height of At that moment, he was one of the best players in the NBA. Yeah, so –
1: I, I think you need that kind of star power on your team. You do, but maybe the Jazz have developed it where they have a budding star and a bunch of guys who are really, 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 really good players.
0: I consider Mike Conley a star. That's just me. Sure, I but, think, but he's not of the, that level. He's not in the same vein of a Kawhi. And
1: right. that's what I'm saying. So maybe they have put together enough stars and really high level Second players to, stars, yeah, I to offset saying. that. Yeah, maybe so. so.
0: Yeah. Maybe they maybe they have done that. the the The, the key to what Detroit did. If you want to go back to that Detroit team, yes, yeah, they had uh, Rip Hamilton and Chauncey Billups, who were second and third tier stars, mm-hmm. but they also had the best defender in the NBA at that point in mm-hmm. Ben Wallace. What, yes. what did the Utah Jazz have right now?
1: They have...
0: The best defender in the NBA, and they've got... Jeff a, Green. And they've got a <laughs> Jeff Green, yes. No, they have a budding star in Donovan Mitchell, and a mm-hmm. guy who is probably a second or third tier star in Mike Conley, but is a savvy, savvy veteran. So... The pieces, we'll see if this can pay off in this day and age of the right. NBA because we're talking about a championship 15 years ago. That's a generation ago. We'll see if it can hold Yeah, Yeah,
1: uh, I always laugh at that because somebody always says, well, the Pistons did it. Yeah, 15 okay. years ago, y'all. Come yeah, on so, uh But we'll see what happens, and I think maybe they've done enough with it. Like you say, I think you put it the best way. The, mm-hmm. the second-tier stars who are not quite top – you know, top ten players in the NBA. Yeah, they're not the- but they are together oh, yeah. as powerful as anybody else mm-hmm. in this conference. Absolutely. Uh, also with the Jazz, the Hornets lead the Jazz in Las Vegas in their consolation game thirty three to fifteen. Oh. Uh the Hornets are left are led by uh Meeks. I don't know who he is. Jody Meeks. Well this is K. Meeks. Oh K. Meeks Oh I don't know. I don't think K-Meeks. Jody Meeks is still I don't know. I don't know if he's still in the NBA, but he might be. <laughs> uh they've got and the Jazz are led by they had a bunch
0: of guys out with injury too. Edge.
1: I don't know who that is. Edge. Okay,
0: cool. Right. With
1: five points. But Tanner McGrew's got a three. Uh, P.S. Tanner McGrew in another life
0: should be a right tackle in college football. Just saying.
1: Just <laughs> saying. All right, coming up on the other side. Speaking of college football, that is a great team, Oh, there we go. Take. I did it without I even knowing. As know we're what. going to talk about uh, Sports Illustrated's top 100 players in college football, mm-hmm. what local players made this list? and uh, how maybe it compares to some of our 60 and 60 voting. And also, uh, you had an interesting tweet that you wanted to bring up as well, mm-hmm. a topic about uh, who of what culture is playing in what state.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and you, uh, you had a very interesting point on that, and I wanted to get to that as well. We're here at Stockton 12 Honda, 10860 South uh, Auto Mall Drive. And uh, come see us. It's really easy to find. The sun's out, but it's not too hot out there, so get outside. Come check out the lot. You can get any car online at Stockton12Honda.com get full Kelly Blue Book value for your trade in and they are looking for trades. So come in you get a free appraisal done in under thirty minutes and you'll get more money for that trade in. Also if you're looking for that twenty nineteen Honda passport, you can get up to four thousand off MSRP if you mention that the Saturday show or the zone or Adrian and Jake sent you.
2: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So, you want to save
1: it. some money? Come on in. I love it. Come on down. Uh so coming up next we're talking college football here on the Saturday show.
3: next show.
1: We are in the I 2 o'clock the hour here right at Stockton out. Torpana. Make sure you come and see us. We've got some shirts left. Zach's looking bored. He'll give you some shirts. I'm Adrian Lizer here with Jake Hatch. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at AP Lizer. You can follow Jake at Jacob C. Hatch. Follow uh, Alex back in studio at 247 Lundy. And you can follow Zach at ZT21. That's Z-E-E-T-E-E-21. So follow him as well. And uh, the Zone Sports Network on Twitter and website and all that. Come support us all. Absolutely. Download the podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we Uh, we love it. uh, I wanted to get into a little college football talk here, Jake. Okay. Sports Illustrated, of course, does their top 100 every year. And uh, there were a few local players on it. No one from BYU. Uh, Zach Moss came in at number 88. Mm -hmm. David Woodward from Utah State, linebacker, came in at number 80. Uh, Lecky Fotu at 77, Jalen Johnson from the youths at 51, and Bradley Anai at number 22. Uh, he top 25 player in the country, which I would I would say that's pretty accurate.
0: Yeah, I I, I was kind of surprised T I did not make this list from Utah mm-hmm. State, but David Woodward is a fantastic player for the Aggies in his
1: own right. So yeah, it's and I find it interesting. You know, it's a it's a national yeah. couple of writers putting this together. Mm-hmm. They're obviously not going to have as A close an eye on all these players as we would and uh it it was interesting to me to see how it compared to um kind of the 1660 voting for myself yeah i mean i had zach moss as in the top five i think zach moss
0: number one on my list and he's
1: 88th in the country yeah but there's a lot of really good running backs out there Mm -hmm. nationally so but uh you brought up an interesting point uh first of all is this uh Are you okay with most of this list, those players getting in? I think those Other than Tepa Nalia you thought didn't make it, but any BYU players do you think were deserving The only person from BYU
0: that maybe was in contention at all was Matt Bushman. But let's be real, Matt Bushman, he's led BYU in receiving the last two years, but that has resulted in 500-yard seasons. Mm Mm-hmm. And in this day and age of college football, that's like, okay, um, next. <laughs> like, that's not – that doesn't necessarily jut, jump out at you, and especially in the history of BYU with their tight ends. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same level. So I'm actually quite comfortable with this list. Um, Jalen Johnson on that list is a good pick.
1: They uh, they had their, their Snubs article yeah. as well where mm-hmm. they said that they had left Jordan Love off.
0: Jordan Love left off. He Julian, was of their- Julian Blackman's also a guy I was surprised maybe got left off there, but not necessarily, like, earth-shattering that he didn't get – Mm-hmm. they didn't get named there. So I, I like this list. I was surprised that Zach Moss was as low as he was, but he was injured late in the season last mm-hmm. year, so I'm assuming that probably dropped his number a little bit. Good to see Bradley and I in the top 25, though. That guy deserves everything. I was actually surprised that he came back to Utah for mm-hmm. his senior year, but it is a massive pickup for Utah to have him back.
1: Yeah, they. I mean, obviously for good reason. I think they believe there are a lot of bright things on the horizon mm-hmm. for the Utes. They do. Um, when you're like, speaking of lists, mm-hmm. Um I thought Tony and Austin had an interesting interesting conversation who's going to be a guy that has a surprise breakout season for each of the schools for them to have success like who, locally locally who saying, okay. are they going to need to have these seasons that we weren't expecting um in order for them to find the success that they
0: um for, that each school is looking for. For Utah, I would say um one of their wide receivers, a Solomon. They both Enos, said that well. uh, to get I think maybe, Tony
1: said Nakua.
0: Yeah, Samson Nakua uh, Solomon Enos. Um one of those wide receivers become the the go to option wide receiver. And conversely, it's also the same situation for me at BYU. Mm. Gunnar Romney, I think everybody's got expectations that he can step forward this year. Now that he's fully healthy, he had multiple injury issues last year. And if he can become BYU's go-to guy, that could really open up that offense in its own right. So it's probably wide receiver for both uh, BYU and Utah. For Utah State, there is an argument to be made for, uh, the, for the wide receiving mm-hmm. core. Right, all three. All three, but mm-hmm. I'm actually Utah State. I'm going to go with running back. They need Gerald Bright this year to become an every-down guy and really help take some of the load off of Jordan Love because there's a lot of talent that was around Jordan Love that left and via graduation and the NFL draft last year. So he needs somebody in that backfield alongside him to take some of that load off of him.
1: The conversation around Utah State's been fascinating in the last couple months because I think it was a lot of people just assumed that they would be able to recapture it all just because they got Jordan Love to or didn't get him but he yeah. was going to stay another year mm-hmm. and but it seems like there's less expectations this year than there might have been last year as the season went along do you, yeah. know, what I, do, you know what i'm saying like yeah. it seems like there's people are less expecting them to reach the heights that they did last season well and it, not only because that's very hard to replicate yeah, exactly but i i just find it usually when you have a quarterback coming back you can say oh we're gonna be pretty good but well, so yeah,
0: a, quarterback is the most important position in football. Period. In this day and age of the sport, because the rule changes have necessitated that you have your best athlete at that position. And they need to produce. So, in that regard, yes, Utah State should be able to run it back and have some success. I just feel like just
1: lost a lot of guys. Huh?
0: Four offensive linemen graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, your, your top running back went to the NFL. Your top tight end went to the NFL. You saw you lost your top three wide receivers to graduation. And I know there's plenty of talent, I, in my mind, still hanging out here with the Aggies. I, Gerald Bright is a great player. Savon Scarver is an All-American. You can't take that away from him. Uh, you have a guy like Carson Terrell at tight end. Alfred Edwards is a great great piece to build upon if you're at left tackle for that offensive line. But just in, sheer, in terms of the sheer number of guys who left, it, on paper, it doesn't look ideal for Utah State. So I, I get why people are, are hesitant to say, yeah, they can put another 10-win season on the board, but I still think they're going to be plenty competitive.
1: Yep, I, I would agree with you. But it's it might be hard to get 10 wins this year, but I, Jordan Love's the kind of guy who can lead him to that. Oh, yeah. When I look at some of these players, uh, I think you're completely right on the wide receiving core for all three teams. Yeah. Um, one guy I have my eye on for Utah is Manny Bowen. Okay. Um, when you're replacing those two linebackers, and I know the narrative has always been, well, it's easy to play linebacker for Utah. <laughs> well, don't be the guy who just transferred in just because they needed somebody to fill it in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to see if Manny Bowen can really find success in this system. Okay. He's a guy I've been looking at because probably Cody and Chase are the biggest losses on that Utah defense. I think that's easy to say. So, yeah. um, and you lose both your guys who are running that defense for a couple seasons. So, I'll be interested to see what Manny and I guess Francis Bernard are going to do.
0: Yeah, Francis Bernard's going to be a key cog. And you're right, those two linebackers, they got a lot to live up to because Cody Barton and Chase Hansen became an incredible tandem. The line may
1: set you up to make big plays, but you still got to make those plays. You still got to come through and do it. Yeah,
0: so that'll be interesting in that regard. Some other secondary ones just with other teams uh, at at Utah State can keep Analia and David Woodward to produce like they did for that defense a year mm-hmm. ago and stay healthy. That would be a big key for them on the defensive side of things. For BYU, it's at linebacker as well. There's some very – all three of these teams – Kind of uh, similar. Similar situations because BYU, I don't know if a lot of people paid attention to this, they graduated six linebackers and lost another two – no, one, another one to transfer. What second one was going to transfer decided to come back. So they lost seven of their linebackers mm. at BYU last year. And this is a team that the linebackers in its history of the last 10 to 15, 20 years, it's been the best position in terms of NFL talent. they got a lot to replace. So guys like Isaiah Kafusi, Zane Anderson have an opportunity here to step forward, but they've got to be able to stay healthy and have some depth behind them, similar to what Utah is looking like. And
1: also with BYU, I'm looking at the running back position. Somebody there is going to have to have a surprise season for them mm -hmm. to find success.
0: They brought in two graduate transfers. Two grad transfers, Mm -hmm.
1: and and, uh, Lupini Katoa is – small, so I think his He's had injury concerns. His injury like getting getting through that first four weeks for him, I think it's going to be part of their battle.
0: They're hopeful uh, of Tyson Williams and Emmanuel Lasupa, the two graduate transfer running backs coming in and really helping uh, bolster that uh, offense but like you said, Adrian, you got to have somebody step forward and Put a good year together, plain and simple. So,
1: Jake, you put out a tweet about this yeah. list, yeah. that you wanted to get into, and I, th- I think it's an interesting. Yeah,
0: topic. so I, I tweeted that I was reading this list. I, I, I think, and I I enjoy this list each year. I want to see where the local guys are at. But as I was reading it, I noticed some a trend here that BYU fans, you maybe want to be paying attention to this, not as I'd be concerned about it, because there are multiple factors in play with this, but. In the top 25 of these players in the country, according to Sports Illustrated, four of them are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. More colloquial name, Mormons. No, no, no. Okay, sorry, I can't use that term. No, you can't.
1: But I'll let you pick.
0: (laughs) But but here's the thing. I think a lot of BYU fans would love to aspire to the fact that BYU could bring in all the top LDS talent. That would be a great thing to aspire to. But this day and age, as I tweeted out, Having four guys who are members of the church playing for four different programs nationally shows how expansive recruiting has become. Mm-hmm. The four guys, let me run down the names here. We got Panay Sewell, a kid from Saint George, Utah, Desert Hills High School. He was the first uh, star- true freshman starting offensive lineman for Oregon in like 20 years last year. A six foot six, 345 pound monster who's going to be a first round draft pick the second he's eligible to go to the NFL. Great player. He's on that list. Uh, then you also have Derek Brown, a defensive tackle for Auburn. Six-foot-five, 320-pound monster along the defensive line. He's going to be a first-round draft pick next year.
1: Number five, think, on, yeah, number five, five list. on the list.
0: He is incredible. If you haven't seen Derek Brown play football, he moves like a man that's half of his size, but he is a violent, violent player. But
1: Sewell, by the way, is 13th.
0: 13th up for Penny Sewell. Right behind Penny Sewell, Iowa defensive end A.J. Epinesa. He grew up out there in the Midwest, signed on with Iowa. He is an elite pass-rushing defensive end, and he is going to be a first-round draft pick. And then completing the foursome in this top 25 is Utah's own Bradley Anai. So there was only one of these guys who is a member of the church who is playing here along the Wasatch Front. He's playing at Utah. But in BYU fans' minds, they would like to have all four of those guys playing in Provo. I think the coaching staff at Provo yeah. would be like, yes, we want all four of those guys too. But here's the fact of the matter is, the days of BYU and Mormon athletes and Mormon missions being able to uh, get guys to say, okay, these programs won't take us because we're going on missions— most programs now understand that actually we're okay with it. You go you go do your mission service, come back here and play, and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. And there's a lot of guys who don't go on missions either. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a trend that you want to pay attention to because this is the top of the top talent in college football. Guys who are members of the church that theoretically you would like to see on campus in Provo, but none of the four are there.
1: I, I would think it would be, and you can, this this day and age, uh-huh. I think it would be even, Way hard to bring in the guys who don't live locally, though. It's tough, absolutely, because it's these programs now, understand. Th- was the
0: two of those four locally? Uh, local? Where's Bradley and I from? He's actually from Hawaii. Okay, so he he's from the, Hawaii. So, he grew up on the North Shore, which is a Mormon enclave out there. So,
1: right, so but Penny Sewell is from St. St. George. St. George. So he's one that you see if you're Utah or BYU, Yeah, you're thinking, well, his, oh man, we couldn't get you here. His
0: younger brother, Gabe, is a four or five star prospect at Orham High School this coming season. He's okay. a senior there. Their mother works at BYU. Mm. And none of the sons have gone to BYU. Two of the sons yeah. went to Nevada. Panay is up at at Oregon. wouldn't surprise me if Gabe decides to go out of state as well. That's a cons- as a five
1: star recruit, it's four
0: or five star, so, depending yeah. which one you look at. AJ Epinesa grew up in the Upper Midwest, so Iowa. Okay, I understand that a little bit. It was closer to home and everything for him. But then a guy from Derek, like Derek Brown, he grew up in Alabama, mm. so he went to Auburn. He stayed home and went to Auburn. So you're right. The day and age of getting those guys out of state to come to Utah probably passed, but BYU, they've got to try their best to get as much talent that is members of the church as they can. I think they've done a decent job of getting talent because guys like Gunnar Romney had options to play. He's from Arizona. He could have stayed home and played for Arizona State. Uh, When he was a senior, that was when uh, they made the coaching change at Arizona State, and they came hard after him to stay home and play for the Sun Devils, but he stuck with BYU. Jacob Conover, similar situation, had options to go all over the place. He's now on a mission. He's going to be coming to BYU. BYU's got to chase these guys, and I know that they recruited all four of these guys on the mm-hmm. list. I, I can vouch for that. I, I actually interviewed, I think, three of the four during their high school days about just their interest in BYU and whatnot. And they all had interest yeah. to some degree or another, just because of the connection. Right. with I the was going to say
1: that's that's the only that would be the thing drawing them. They to get a guy, a five star guy, who's the top five player in the country, in yeah. uh in, in Derek, Yeah, Derek Brown. Derek Brown. I yeah. mean. You got you got to hope that he has some sort of connection to BYU yeah. that's going to offset him going to Auburn or some of these top schools because I mean I'm sorry they're not going to pick yeah unless they have a love for the university they're not going to pick it over the competition that they're going to get in the SEC and you can tell me the exposure is the same because they play on ESPN at 9:45 Mountain time <laughs> but it's yeah. not quite the same as playing for Auburn
0: it it's true. The biggest thing for BYU that they can do to help win more of these recruiting battles, Adrian, is go out and win. Mm -hmm. But it's tough because look at that first four games this year. Man, I understand that three of them are at home. Of course, you open up against Utah and Provo. You go to Tennessee, then you're home against USC and Washington. So, in theory, having three of the four at home is an advantage for you to be playing at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. But still, you're talking about three or four of the top 30 to 40 teams, mm-hmm. and it's going to be tough. And you've got to stay healthy, get through that. And if you can put up an eight-win season this coming year, I think that's a good number for BYU. But I'm not sure that that results in top-level LDS talent saying, hey, BYU, I want to come here now, even right. though I've got options to stay in the SEC or play in the Big Ten or playing the Pac-12 or or whatever. It, Eight
1: wins for BYU would mean they beat two people that they weren't favored to beat. Probably, be my yeah. opinion. Yeah, and because they've got the four P5s, which they won't Mm -hmm. be favored in any of those games. They won't be favored against Utah State, and they probably won't be favored against Boise. The interesting thing is
0: ESPN has their football percentages index. They call it the FPI that they put out each year for each team, and it takes into account past performance, et cetera, and has percentages of what you're expected to win each season. BYU this year is an underdog in all four of the Power 5 games they're playing and favorites in the other eight. Doesn't make sense to me, though. It doesn't, but the interesting part is a lot of people think that, well, that, does that result in an 8-4 and four record right, right away? No, it no. doesn't, because the FPI also takes into account the percentages. Of, okay, those first four games for BYU, they're actually predicting, according to the FPI, between 1.6 and 2.4 wins for BYU out of those four. Right. No, that's fair. If you pull I, I always, out one I always compare wins,
1: the program, I guess. That's yeah. my problem. Some, maybe I don't compare the teams as well it, when it gets down to the like, – Boise versus Utah, mm-hmm. I would say Boise State's a better football program as a of- or has been in the last yeah, absolutely. little while. I don't think so that's can argue that. That's why it would be surprising me if BYU was favored, but they're at home, right? And yes. so that it would, takes all that, that into it, it takes
0: that all into account, but the, the, that is interesting to me that they're predicting between 1.6 and 2.4 wins of the Power 5 games that BYU is playing this year. So, right. they're, so they're guessing at least a 1-3, if not a 2-2 record coming out of that. If you get to 2-2 mm-hmm. two two out of those first four games for BYU, incredible. you're setting yourself up for 8-9 wins real easy in my mind. But I feel
1: like those two are the Washington and USC game, too. I think those are the most gettable, probably. My I I would be with you. I think it's going to be really – even if Tennessee's not like this powerhouse, I think it's going to be hard You're to go on the road. Going to Knoxville. It's going to yeah. be hard to go on the road and win that game. Utah, I think, is going to win that game. So, the Washington and USC, I really want to say – I want to see who they are after the first two games of the year. USC might have a new coach after two games. So <laughs> – who knows? <laughs> They've got a really rough schedule to start. They, they're for, Washington, their first six games
0: are tough. right? Yeah.
1: And so, you know, USC, the talent always wins out. Maybe not. And Washington's breaking in a lot of new players. So those yes. are the two. That's why predicting this year is going to be so hard because we don't know what a couple of these teams are going to look like at all.
0: Yeah, so it's just going back to what we are talking about here, it'd be nice to see all four of those guys mm-hmm. playing here in the state of Utah in period but the the concerning i think part for BYU fans is that none of those four are playing for the Cougars in pro right that's that's the tough part to swallow because we're th- that list takes in all 130 teams across FBS football i think mo- that 100 players as well is probably anywhere between top 4 or 5 round NFL talent and you have four guys on that list who are considered first round potential guys you want to have at least maybe one or two of those if in if at all possible, at BYU. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the tough part of your Cougar fan, to, f- to swallow that understanding those four guys are all playing elsewhere in the country.
1: All right, coming up on the other side, it's time for five minutes of soccer with Jake Hatch. Also, the Jazz down 54-30 at halftime in Jazz Summer League. All right, right, we're more, uh, more next here on the Saturday Show. little Sugar Ray on a Saturday here on the Zone Sports Network. If there's a band that doesn't remind me of being a junior high more, it's Sugar Ray.
2: Really? Yeah. Of all things, huh?
1: Man, they had some good jams back I did. in the day. did. Uh, Alex back there playing the hits today here on the Zone Sports Network. Uh, it's time for five minutes of soccer with Mr. Jacob C. Hatch. And uh, what do you got for us? The women, they win the World Cup. We yep. can talk about that real quick. Pretty awesome. Great, great good Congratulations. game. Congratulations.
0: Yep. Fourth all-time World Cup title, uh, the most all-time, of course. They're actually, there's only one other team that has multiple World Cup titles. Do you know which country that is, Adrian? Germany. Well done. You, you are a smart man. Yes, I you. am. They won back-to-back titles in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. So cool to see the women uh, finish it off as the favorites. Uh didn't necessarily play their best at points during that but nope. i think as megan rapino Rapinoe said during the kind of the run here for the women's world cup guess what we're the most mentally tough team in this competition so you can't count us out ever
1: yeah they didn't play great the entire time but that's kind of the fun of a tournament is yes. that Teams have to find a win, a way to win when they're not, and they get the World Cup victory, so pretty cool. Yeah,
0: so they won it. The men's team uh, lost in disappointing fashion, 1-0 to Mexico in the Gold Cup final. Mexico is by far a better uh, national team at this point, but still, the U.S. had their chances in that match. Mm-hmm. Four or five golden opportunities to put goals in and came up empty. Yep. So, rough for the U.S. men's national team, but... Here locally, we're back to league action now. Uh, Utah Royals suffered a disappointing 1-0 loss in stoppage time last night. Very reminiscent of what happened a week ago for Real Salt Lake. They were at San Jose. Played well. I thought well enough to pick up a point on the road. And you and I have talked about this, Adrian. You don't understand the whole concept of not playing for the win. But RSL looked like they had an opportunity to come away with a point in that match. But then they fall asleep on a dead ball or a, a, a free kick on a corner kick. And get punished for it and lose one nothing in the 93rd minute of stoppage time last week. So disappointing for RSL because that pushed them into 8th place just outside the playoffs when they could have vaulted up as high as 6th with a, with a result there at San Jose. And now they face Eastern Conference leader Philadelphia Union tonight at Rio Tinto Stadium at 8 o'clock.
1: It'll be a great night for soccer. It's game. gonna be a
0: beautiful night tonight. If you if you're looking for something to do on a Saturday night, go out to Rio Tinto Stadium. It should be fantastic weather. You can enjoy some soccer. A big opportunity for RSL to notch uh, three points if they can pick up this win here. It's gonna be tough though, because like I said, Philadelphia is the top team in the East right now, and they've had a good run this season so far. Come in on a little bit of a lull in terms of uh, just not playing their best recently. Mm-hmm. But it is an opportunity for RSL. You're playing at Elevation against a team from the East Coast. They have to travel. They're coming to Elevation. A funny thing, we were talking about in the break about the Hugh Jackman concert. In the middle of his second he did two acts is oh, how he okay. set it up. In the middle of his second act, he was talking to the crowd, and he just stops in the middle. Of it. You can tell he's like, he's like, this Elevation thing's real. <laughs> it was, and it was like a heartfelt, like he's like legitimately like, dude, I am out of breath. That's funny. And so. It's a chance for RSL. You take advantage of what you can do here at Elevation, and you're almost a mile up into the thinner air. Teams coming from, from a sea level, it gets to them, so you got to take advantage of that.
1: I've got something to add to this conversation okay. today, Jay. What do you got? 538.com oh, about six minutes ago, they have their new rankings released out? their 2019 Global soccer club ratings. Number this, is,
0: this is impressive of a list that they do. Yes. They do
1: every team in the world. Every professional team in the world. 636 of them, in fact. That's incredible. Number one, Manchester City. Two, Bayern Munich. Three, Liverpool. Bayern Munich's number two? Mm-hmm. What are you doing, 538? Come on. Man. Now, RSL, they make their way out to the list. Okay. Where are at, they at number 360, you're a big soccer guy. Where do you think they so rank in the world? Six
0: thirty-six, and they're in the bottom dead middle. Half. Rough.
1: Well, not dead middle, but pretty close. Just past half halfway. Just past halfway.
0: Actually, that's actually not bad in my mind. Where's the top MLS team? Do they have. a I gotta find it here. See if you can find where the top MLS team checks in. It's probably going to be LA, LAFC, but that would be me.
1: The bottom team is the Tacoma Defiance. Okay, you want to know a funny thing about
0: Tacoma Defiance? Yes. Real Monarchs SLC, the Division Two club, the USL club that's here locally went and smacked Tacoma 5-0 last night, actually. Oh, so, that's, so they're the they worst beat, they team beat, in the world. They smacked the worst team around 5-0. Yeah.
1: Uh, you were right about LAFC being the number one team they in checking? the United States, 119th. And that, my friend. What's just in front of him? Is that Monterey? Monterey in Liga MX in, MX. in Mexico. MX. Um, that yeah. right there tells you what you need to know about the growth required of our of, uh, yes. MLS.
0: MLS, it's, it's going to be a long build for them to become the best league in the world, and I doubt they ever they make it will. to that point. No. But they can aspire to continue to build themselves. LAFC has been very good this year, Adrian. But, yeah, you're right. Being 119th in the, in the world kind of shows where the pecking order is in terms of the top teams in MLS, top teams here
1: in the United States versus globally. Netherlands at number ten with Ajax, Ajax or Ajax, mm-hmm. Olympiakos from Greece. Okay. Other than that, it's England, Spain, La Liga, and yeah. Okay, interesting. But anyway, interesting. RSL three hundred sixty.
0: Yeah, that's middling club. I I get yeah. it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Anyway, that's all that stuff's kind of interesting. No one else does the, the entire world rankings when it comes to sports. It is an impressive, but it's probably the only list. sport you could do it for.
0: Yeah, well, because you have professional leagues
1: yeah. worldwide. Because, let's if you speak, did an NBA one, it would be all 30, and then Real Madrid at 31. and then FC Barcelona, yeah, 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 and yeah. then
0: Olympiacos, right. and then, yeah, exactly. And American football, yeah, it's here in the United, here in the United States. Yeah, nothing else. So, yep. yeah, soccer is really the only one that's a global sport that you can do that for.
1: All right, coming up on the other side, let's uh, get into the 3 o'clock hour. We're going to let you hear from more voices that were on the Zone Sports Network. And uh, that's all coming up next here on the Saturday Show.